Smith, not Taylor. Um, yeah, I do joke that my parents had no idea who Hudson Taylor was when they, when they named me. I'm named after the river, okay? So go figure. Uh, but I like to say that in God's sovereignty, he kind of knew uh, where he was going to use me, and so it came full circle. Um, I am so excited to be here with y'all uh, this evening. Uh, I'm actually from Arkansas. He didn't say that, so I'm kind of excited to be anywhere, you know. But um, I... Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, when, when uh, Chris and I were chatting, he's like, yeah, can you just do like, oh, you know, the overview of perspectives in like two hours? Cool, neat, fun, uh, see you later. And that, I was like, sure. Um, so I, I, I'm just so excited for, for this evening, just to give you a little bit of idea uh, where we're going. Um, for part one, we're going to talk about really uh, God's heart for the world all the way through scripture. And then we're going to look at what does the world look like today? Uh, and, and so go, we're going to go all the way through the Bible and then all around, all the way around the world in part one. Okay. Uh, and then in part two, we're going to go, uh, just cover like the last 300 years of missions history, uh, and, uh, look at some of the movers and shakers of, of people that God has used men and women of the faith that God has used in incredible ways in the past. And then we're going to end with bringing it, uh, here today and, and how do we live out, uh, being a part of, of the Great Commission. Um, just to share a little bit uh, about the traveling team. I don't, I don't think you mentioned this. So um, it says on the thing, I, I'm a part of a ministry called the traveling team. And I always joke that I need to explain who the traveling team is because the name of our ministry sounds just vague enough to be heretical. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, who is the traveling team? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Are they Christians or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the short answer, the short version of what we do is, is we uh, travel and talk to college students about missions. And so we have three teams that canvas the country and go speak at mainly state schools. And we partner with different campus ministries like Crew, InterVarsity, Chi Alpha, Navigators, Baptist Collegiate Ministry, Campus Outreach, Student Mobilization, you name it. And so these great campus ministries let us come in to their weekly meeting. And we give a talk that we call the Biblical Basis for Missions. And so we go Genesis to Revelation in like 25, 30 minutes, like we're going to do. And so we blow these college students' minds of of how uh, Scripture all the way through is about God's heart for the world. And every believer has a part to play. Uh, And then we do an optional breakout session to kind of help them see some of the practical ways that you can get involved. Because if you go, if you talk to a college student, college students are pretty impressionable, you know, and and so if you talk to a college student and say, all the way through the Bible, you know, God's heart is for, for all nations, they're thinking, so do I just like book my one way ticket to Ooga Booga Land tomorrow? Or they're like, like, what do I do? Are there like other things? And so we help them see, you know, that you could start to like pray for the world. And, and there are international students on your campus who are from some of the most unreached countries in all the world. And you can like say, hey, my name is. And maybe you could use this thing called a summer that you have uh, and, and do a short-term trip. And so we kind of help them see uh, some of the practical ways. And then we go to the next campus. And so we, we um, so broadly, basically the way we have the U.S. divided up and with the te- three teams rotating, someone from the traveling team steps foot on almost every major university in America every two years. And so we have a, a vision that we feel like we want to get out to absolutely as many students as possible. So I did that uh, traveling on the road. We don't stay in hotels. We stay in host homes. And so I did that uh, for years. I, I did it for four years as a single guy. And then I met my wife, Jessie. And um, at the time, she was a sixth grade English teacher in Northwest Arkansas. And so we started dating and uh, it was kind of like time for, you know, the relationship to move to the next level. And so I proposed and gave her an application in the same conversation. Uh, do, do you want to come live in a minivan with me? Um, and so we spent, she, she said yes to both, retired from teaching. And um, we spent the first two years of our marriage living in a minivan traveling around the country, uh, which is one way to spend the first two years of your marriage. Uh, and, but we survived. And um, so uh, the, uh, in 2015, marked the end of six years on staff of the traveling team for me. And the the significance of six years is that six years is how long it takes to go all the way around the U.S. We call it the lap, okay? And so once you do that, you retire. So I got to go to 49 out of 50 states. We didn't make it to Alaska. Not sure if there are enough people to go, you know. Um, And uh, so someday, though, uh, I'll make it there. Um, So so we retired uh, and, and took a role at the home office for the traveling team. And um, which is in Conway, Arkansas. 
And uh, so now I get to do a lot more things like this, uh, mission revolutions and, and mission conferences and teaching perspectives and things like that. And so I love it. Uh, when we got off the road and we moved to Conway, um, we counted it up. And in my six years on South of the Traveling Team, I had stayed in over 500 host homes across the country and slept on different beds and mattresses and futons and you don't want to know what. And so (laughs) our first purchase when we got off the road was a mattress. We went straight to Bedding Mart and I was like, memory foam, I don't care what it costs. Like, (laughs) that is my mattress. Um, So that's a little bit about me and the the Traveling Team. We're going to dive in real quick because we got to keep it moving. Um, And so we're going to look at this, uh, get going at, at looking at what God says in Scripture uh, about his purpose and his plan uh, for all peoples. About mm, about 10 years ago, some guy friends of mine, uh, we decided that we wanted to go out to Utah uh, to learn how to hang glide. Um, so we're going to take this man trip, you know what I'm saying? We're going to go learn how to hang glide in Utah. And uh, hang gliding, if you're not familiar with that, is basically where you strap metal wings on your back and you jump off a cliff. So sane people used to do that kind of thing. Well, as we're on the trip out there, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not like an extreme guy, okay? And so I, I was a little bit nervous about hang gliding because none of us knew anything about hang gliding. I mean, literally on the way out there, we Googled hang gliding in Utah to find someone to teach us how to hang glide, Okay. And so all I knew, we're driving to Utah, and all I know about the guy who's going to be teaching us how to hang glide was that he referred to himself as the bird man, okay? And so I'm like, okay, either I'm going to get out here to Utah, and the self-proclaimed bird man is going to be like the best hang glider that this world has to offer, or I'm going to die single in the desert, you know what I'm saying? And so we get out there, and y'all, it's like all my worst fears are confirmed. Every single time we're jumping off the cliff, one guy breaks his elbow, we took two emergency room visits okay so it's like it's like day three and we're like hobbling in and and the bird man uh bird is like hold on guys pep talk from the bird man you know kind of rallies this up he's like here you go i've i've been watching you guys and 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 i think you're doing something wrong <laughs> thank you Birdman, for that incredible insight we couldn't tell that we were terrible when we crashed every time and he's like, hear me out. He said, I'm watching you, and every single time when you jump off the cliff, the first thing that you do is you look down at the ground. And he said, what happens is when you look down at the ground, you like lose your frame of reference, and so you got no way to correct yourself. And he said, I know that the reason that you're looking down at the ground is that you're just trying to not crash and burn. We're like, yes, that's exactly right. But he said, you, here's the deal. You will never learn how to hang glide if your only goal is to not crash and burn. Like, you have to have a bigger purpose than to not die uh, if you want to learn how to hang glide. So he said, this time when you jump off the cliff, I want you to fix your eyes out on the horizon. Just pick yourself a point on the horizon and make it your goal to fly uh, to the horizon. And I'm telling you, that sounds so simple, but we never crashed again. We were like, Birdman, you're a genius. Like, Where was that day one? though, bro. Like, I, can I rewrite your curriculum? Um, and, you know, I love that idea of like having a bigger purpose um, that, that we're giving our lives to, because I, I don't know about you guys, but like life, life kind of has this, this way of, of making us do this, okay, where we just get in like survival mode, okay? My wife and I became parents earlier this year we adopted a little boy um and and he was born three months early and so he's got you know some health things and so um it's a full-time job to take care of him and and some days like at the end of the day we just look at each other and we're like what exactly did we even do today and then we're like he's alive you know so like (laughs) like that was a win you know um, but but the, uh, when I was a freshman at the University of Arkansas, like my goal in life was to to get a degree and to get a fiance and to not abandon the faith. You know what I'm saying? Like okay, and so like not die. And those aren't bad things. But but when you if you're not careful, you can start doing like this for your entire life, and you'll get to the end of your life, and maybe you won't have crashed and burned, but you won't have flown either. Okay, and and God created us for more spiritually than to just not crash and burn. Uh, There was a reason when you got baptized that the pastor didn't just hold you under and send you straight to heaven. Okay, Um, some of you who aren't. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you who aren't baptized like, can that happen? You know, see, that's why I don't want to get baptized. Um, 
but yeah, like, does that make it says like there's some perp- there's a reason you're left here on the earth. And so what we want to just kind of strike the right note of from the very beginning is looking at what is what is our purpose. And so what I want to show you as we get going is that God's purpose for your life is the exact same as his purpose in the Bible. Okay, and, and God's purpose in the Bible is absolutely clear from Genesis one all the way through to Revelation. God's purpose is that the earth would be full of worshipers. Which means that if you're a Christian, I can confidently say to you that God's purpose for your life, God's will for your life is that you would be a part of of bringing the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation. Because anything other than that is just too small. It's like, like that's the bigger purpose. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to approach this from what is God's purpose and how does our purpose uh, flow out of that. And so uh, we're going to go Genesis to Revelation in like 20 minutes. So hang on to your pants because we're going to fly. Um, I got a lot of verses up here. Um, and, and I see some of you like ready to take some notes, um, which is good. I would encourage you to write down the reference, okay, of the scripture, uh, because if you try to write down the whole verse, like you will not survive. All right. So just write down the reference and, um, I promise you they're all found in the Bible. Okay. Um, so you can go look them up later. So we're, we're just going to, um, uh, take, you know, 20 minutes and, and try to, I'm going to try to recruit you to God's purpose. Okay. Um, all the way through scripture and really, really God's purpose is, is revealed and, and really gets going in motion explicitly in Genesis 12 with a guy named Abraham. But let me give you a little bit of context for Genesis 12. Okay. So, uh, Genesis 1, God creates everything. Uh, the whole earth says it was good, really good. And uh, God creates Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. And the first command that God gave to mankind, Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the very first command that God gave to Adam and Eve was to fill the earth uh, spiritually and physically. God knew that as Adam and Eve multiplied physically, that they would also multiply spiritually because they were made in His image to reflect his glory. And so from the very beginning, Genesis 1, God's purpose is worldwide worship. Okay, but you know the story. Genesis 3, man sins and severs his relationship with God. And by Genesis 6, it says every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And so God floods the entire earth in Genesis 7. Starts over again in Genesis 9 with a guy named Noah and his family. And when Noah steps off the ark, what does God say to him in Genesis 9-1? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, okay? And so we're not even 10 chapters in the whole Bible. And already again, God has repeated this command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 10 and 11, uh, mankind, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, mankind, instead of being spread all over the earth, they decide to stay in one spot and, and build this tower called the Tower of Babel. You guys know this story, right? Literally, it says, instead of being spread all over the earth, they're going to stay in one spot. Like, that's what I call direct disobedience. And so God's like, oh, no thanks. And so he spreads them out all over the earth. And so that is that happens right before this in Genesis 11. God spreads people out all over the earth So there's different languages, different cultures, different religions, different ethnicities. They're spread all over the earth. And now in Genesis 12, God is going to reveal his plan and his purpose to turn them into worshipers. So God is going to look down and he's going to choose one man in his family through which to bless all the people on planet earth. So this dude named Abraham won the lottery. Um, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So he says, Abraham, I want you to take everything that you like, everything that's safe, everything that's secure, everything that's comfortable, everything that's familiar, and I just want you to leave it. Love you, bro. <laughs> Welcome to following Yahweh. This is the first thing that God says to Abraham. Okay. Um, uh, and so God says this to Abraham, but he says, Abraham, I'm, I'm actually not out to ruin your life. Okay, actually, Abraham, I'm going to hook you up because I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Um, And and this blessing that God is giving to Abraham uh, here uh, is is primarily a blessing uh, mainly of salvation. It, It is a relationship with the God of the universe. 
And scripture is absolutely clear that there was nothing about Abraham that made him deserve a relationship with God. Instead, God said, I'm going to love that guy. (laughs) And what you'll see over and over and over throughout scripture is that God gives grace freely, like unmerited favor. God gives grace freely. But when God gives grace, the recipient of that grace is never intended to be the final destination. Like the grace has come because it's on its way to someone else. Abraham, there's the promise. Now here's the plan. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The the reason that I'm blessing you, Abraham, is not just for you. The reason that I'm blessing you is revealing God's purpose. Are you going to get hooked up? Yes, 100%. Blessing, but it's not just about you. This is about you, but it's not about you. Um, I'm doing something bigger than you. There's a bigger purpose, and you are a part of it. And, uh, and I love that Abraham just obeys. Genesis 12, 4 says, And Abraham left as God had commanded him. And so Abra- God's purpose becomes Abraham pur- Abraham's purpose. And what I want you to see is that this idea of blessed in order to be a blessing, it wasn't just for the one man, Abraham. It was actually for every single member of Abraham's family because God repeats it to all the members of Abraham's family, uh, like his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. I'm going to bless you, and all nations, all peoples are going to be blessed uh, through you. Um, my senior year at the University of Arkansas, I actually got a chance to be an RA in the international dorm on campus. And y'all, I loved living in the international dorm. I had guys on my floor from India, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Japan, China, Thailand, Vietnam. Like, it was amazing. Um, always something going on in the international dorm, you know. Like, there's nothing like being woken up at 3.30 a.m. every other night to a different ethnic food being burnt in the kitchen, you know, and the fire alarm <laughs> going off. Um, and so, but while I was in there, I actually got a chance to meet this Chinese international student named Samuel and Samuel and I became fast friends and you know he whipped me at ping pong and then he out of nowhere uh, Samuel was incredibly interested in spiritual things and so he would he'd ask me about Christianity he'd ask me all kinds of questions and at first I was a little bit standoffish like why do you want to know you, the government you know like are you what <laughs> I was a little bit paranoid you know because um, he's just nailing me with these questions and and eventually I, I realized well, this guy's genuine you know and so I said all right Samuel you want to know the gospel uh, I'll tell you what Christianity is all about and so I said here it is. I mean, mankind is separated from God because of our sin, and the only way back to him is, is through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, and, and through him we can have a relationship uh, with God. And Samuel said, Hudson, I've never heard that before. And, and so over the course of the next couple of weeks, I just got to continue trying to explain the gospel until uh, one night, me and, um, me and one of my good friends, we tried to make it a regular habit to go around on our floor and, and just try to share the gospel with guys. And so we would knock on their doors and we would share the bridge illustration with them. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the bridge illustration, just this really simple uh, gospel sharing tool. And so we were like, oh my goodness, we, we haven't shared the bridge with Samuel. That's like the only way we haven't shared the gospel with him. And so we invited Samuel to my room and we start walking through the bridge. And you know how you can tell when someone's tracking with you, okay? And so I'm walking through the bridge and Samuel just looking up at me. And I'm getting nervous because I know we're going to get to the end of this thing and I don't know what to do. And so I'm, <laughs> and we get to the end and I'm, uh, I just say, Samuel, I mean, would you like to believe in Jesus? And he says, yes. And so we wet our pants, right? Like, ah, <laughs> okay, I, I guess, sure. We try to talk him out of it, you know. Uh, all right, I guess, if you really want to. And so we like get, I'm like, all right, let's get down on our knees. So I pray for him. Uh, I'm like, all right, you can pray. He prays in Mandarin. I don't even know what he said. I think it worked, okay? And so he prayed to receive Christ. And then I dunked him at our church. And then you've never met someone so pumped that they have a relationship with Jesus. And so Samuel... Um, wanted to learn how to share the gospel with other people. And so we sent him on a summer project with our campus ministry where he could kind of get discipled and grow in his faith. And one of the things they would do on the... um on that project is Sunday afternoons they would go out and the project was in Florida and so they would go out on the beach and they would share the bridge with people. They just walk up to them on the beach and share the bridge with them. And Samuel led seven people to Christ that summer uh, sharing the bridge uh, on the beach. And he got back on campus that next semester and uh, he got a job in the cafeteria because that's where most of the other international students worked and a lot of them were Muslims and so he wanted to reach out to them and tell them about Jesus. 
And, um, but it got weird kind of quick because he's like trying to invite these, his friends to church, but he doesn't have a way to get them there. So he has to come to me and be like, hey, can you bring me and my five Muslim friends to church on Sunday? <laughs> and so Samuel got tired of that. So he decided uh, to get his driver's license and buy a car because uh, that's just what you do, right? And um, I went with him to take his driver's test. He failed the first time. Um, he uh, the, the got the DMV. He was like, I have some serious concerns. <laughs> um, but so he, but his heart was in the right place. He passed eventually. Um, so then it's Christmas break, and he's going to go back home to his, his family in China. And so our church uh, gives him a Bible in Mandarin to give to his family, like as a Christmas gift. And so Samuel gets off the plane in China, and he gives his Bible to his mom. He says, Mom, this is a gift for you. This is the Word of God. And she says, Samuel, will you tell me what it says? So he shares the bridge with her, and she comes to Christ. She takes the bridge, she shares it with her sister, and she comes to Christ. And they share it with her parents, and they come to Christ. And I found out two years ago that his dad finally came to Christ. He dunked them all, too. It was awesome. Um, And so he comes back, and like this hero, we're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, That summer, he got to go on a mission trip with a campus ministry to Thailand to take the gospel to Thai college students who'd never heard about Jesus before. And so after the summer, I didn't get to go with him on the trip. So after the summer, I asked his team, I said, hey, how was Samuel on the trip? Was he weird? Was he awkward? Was it okay? You know, and they said, we could not keep up with Samuel. He shared the gospel with everything that moved. It was unbelievable. Um, he got back on campus that next semester, and he started three Bible studies on campus. Uh, one Bible study with Chinese international students, a second Bible study with freshmen in one of the dorms, and then a third Bible study in a fraternity that he joined because there were no Christians in that fraternity trying to reach those guys with the gospel. So he figured that probably, you know, I moved there. So he's a, he's a founding member of Sigma Pi at the University of Arkansas. And he's got the he's got the bro low to po- prove it too. Um, and then the summer after that, he got to actually lead a trip of some college students from our church uh, back to his hometown in Shanghai, China. And so, okay, uh, so I'm like watching all this happen. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just kind of sitting back, like observing it, watching Samuel. And along the way, I just kind of think to myself, like I hope Samuel has the right motivations for doing what he's doing and like sharing the gospel. Like I hope he doesn't share the gospel because he thinks like he has to do that or we won't like it or something like, you know, I hope he understands that. And so I pulled Samuel aside and, and I was just like, Samuel, you know, why do you share the gospel like you do? And I kind of expected him to say something like, well, you know, I just feel like this is God's call in my life. I just feel like he's equipped me or gifted me uh, in this way. And I'll never forget. He looked me straight in the eye and he said, Hudson, it's just the love of God. When the love of God lands on me, I cannot help but share it with someone else. Well, that's the right answer. Good job. <laughs> we're good. We're done here. Um, and I love Samuel. Like, nobody needed to explain that to him. You tracking with me on that? Like, nobody needed. He understood that grace had landed on him and that it was not meant to stop on him. That's, that's what God is setting up here in Genesis, okay? He's setting up this family that he wants to bless with love and a relationship with him. And that's not some special call. That's the normal Christian life, okay? Um, God's love lands on us and we share. Okay, and so that's, God is setting up this family here in Genesis 12. And so what we're going to do now is what I want to show you is how God throughout the rest of the Old Testament uses his people, Israel, for exactly that purpose to make himself known to the nation. So some of the most famous stories of the Old Testament, David and Goliath. You guys know this story? A few of you? Okay, good. Um, so David and Goliath, I used to think that this story um, was all about, you know, me and uh, the fact that I needed help believing that there's giants in my life and God can take them out. Okay. Um, and, and so I, I thought that the point was, yeah, God can, God can do anything and he can defeat anything. And, and that's absolutely true. That's part of the story. But it's, it's almost like if that's all there is to the story, you don't even have to be a believer to use this as an object. Like every football coach in history at halftime has been like, all right, guys, we're down 45 points. But you, remember David and Goliath, go get them. You know, <laughs> it's like, is that the point of the story only is just that God can do incredible things? Well, it's part of it. But there's a, well, I want you to see there's a bigger purpose that God is doing. Listen to what David said right before he knocks out Goliath. This day I'm going to strike you down, Goliath, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This was bigger than David. This was bigger than Goliath. This was the God of the universe making himself known to the nations through his people. 
Ten Commandments. Why did God give Moses the Ten Commandments? I used to think that the Ten Commandments is just a set of rules that, you know, a list of to-dos and to-don'ts, got to follow those, you know. If you follow them, it's going to go better for you, which is true, you know. Um, if you walk in God's ways, man, things are going to go better. But, but, but again, there's a, there's a bigger purpose of why God gave the Ten Commandments. This is what Moses says. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe them carefully. Why? Because this is going to show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. So the reason that God gave the Ten Commandments is, is God wanted His people to look different than the rest of the world so that when the world looks at His people, they would see Him to some degree. There's something different about these people. Who is their God? New Testament version of this, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's the same thing for us today. Uh, Our personal holiness matters because literally the whole world is watching. Okay? God has designed it that way. I don't know if you know that the nations are in Kansas City. Okay? Um, And God has designed it that way that we don't grow in holiness so that we can be other people up spiritually I'm better than that guy <laughs> no it's so that we look more like god so that when people look at us they see him are you tracking with me on this um the, uh, th- these are not isolated incidents okay when you look at the rest of the old testament the exodus and pharaoh crossing the jordan the dedication of the temple why did god do every single one of them so that all the earth all nations all peoples would see him and his glory using his people to make himself known to the nations solomon's wisdom the lions den shadrach meshach and abednego why did god do every single one of them to make himself known uh, to the nations and then we get to the psalms um some of you guys are writing like crazy we'll make sure you get the verses i promise okay um we got to keep going uh we get to the psalms over 200 references throughout the psalms all nations, all peoples, all the earth. Psalm 67, one of my favorite ones. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Does that sound good to anybody else, right? Like, I'll take a double helping of Psalm 67, please. You know? um, but man, why? Why is God gracious to us? Why does he bless us? Why does he cause his face to shine upon us? Answers in the second half, that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. We are not blessed just for ourselves. We are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. You tracking with me on that? If you've ever asked God, why am I so blessed? There's your answer. There's purpose here. Okay? God's purpose and our purpose. Um, My wife, Jesse, and I, we have been married four and a half years. And so we pretty much have it all figured out by now. So if you guys have any questions about marriage, you can just pull me aside at the break. We'd love to answer all those. Um, uh, but when we got married, we actually took our honeymoon and we went to Hawaii. And the reason we went to Hawaii is two weeks before Jesse and I started dating, I actually got a chance to be on the game show The Price is Right, and I want a trip for two to Hawaii. Uh, so we went there, <laughs> which I totally recommend. If you're going to get married and you don't have a ton of money for a honeymoon, just win it on a game show. <laughs> um, and so we, we went to Hawaii, and I like love everything we did, you know, because it was all uh, my favorite price, free 99, you know. And so I'm, I love that. I love that. Yes, this is amazing. And so we're doing all these things. But one of my favorite things we did was uh, we went stargazing. And so on the island that we were on in Hawaii, there's these two 13,000-foot mountains. And on one of them, you can drive up. And when you get to 9,000 feet, uh, there's an observatory because when you're at 9,000 feet, you're like above the clouds. And so the stars are just unbelievable. It's super romantic, right? And so we, we go up there and get to the observatory. And there's this guy, literally works for NASA. And he's got this really cool laser pointer. And he is uh, pointing out in the sky the constellations with the laser point. So walking us through the constellations. And y'all, I am like struggle bus trying to follow this guy. Because I'm bro from Arkansas, man. I only knew one constellation. You know, which one do you think I knew? Big Dipper, that's right, man. Bro, as, as I'm like, Orion's what? You know, and, and he's, and he's, so he's gone through, and I'm just like, I start thinking, I'm like, how do I even know the Big Dipper? Like, I, you know, we, everybody knows the Big Dipper. It's not like we figured out on our own. You, you didn't go outside one night and look up at the stars, and you're just like, oh, gee, that, that, it's a Dipper. Like, that's not what happened, okay? Because why would you call it a Dipper anyways? That's just weird. And so, but what happened? I mean, somebody showed you, right? Like, they, they, they showed you how it, how it fits together. And it's almost like when somebody shows you that you can't unsee it anymore, am I right? Like, every single time. 
Um, you, you know, you look at the stars, it just jumps out at you. And so one of the goals in, in this part of looking through Scripture uh, is just that we would be able to connect some of the dots for you, uh, for God's heart for the world, in, in such a way that you'd never be able to unsee it. Okay. Uh, I didn't add any of these verses in the Bible. Like, they've always been there. But sometimes we miss how they all connect together and what God's doing. Uh, but, but we want to connect them so that you see them. Because when that starts to happen, you're going to start seeing that page after page in Scripture. And when that happens, then you start to see that missions is not like my idea. It's not like the traveling team's idea. It's not Chris's idea. It's not Bruce's idea. I mean, it's God's idea. And it's always been his idea from the very beginning. That's his purpose to make himself known among all nations. You tracking with me on that? Okay, we got to keep going. We're going to the New Testament, all right? Um, New Testament, Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1, the first verse of the New Testament, connects Jesus back to Abraham to remind us that it is literally in Jesus' blood to be a blessing to the nations. Why did Christ come to die on the cross? Man, the most famous verse in all the Bible reminds us exactly why Christ died on the cross. For God so loved... Hello, the world, okay? Man, have you, if you've been taught to stick your name in that verse right there where it says the world, that's good. God's love is specific and it is personal, but let's not forget what the verse actually says. God's love is a global love. And, and the cross was such a big deal. The cross was such a big deal that after the cross, Jesus made it crystal clear to his disciples. He gave them the responsibility and the privilege to make sure that the whole world knows that that message. And so after the cross, you get um, at the end of every single one of the Gospels, you get what are called the commissioning statements. So at the end of Matthew, it's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Sounds kind of the same at the end of Mark. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke, forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. John, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And can we just all, can we all just agree that like, because these are Jesus' last words, they carry a little bit of weight? Um, I mean, Jesus talked about a lot of different things before the cross. He talked about relationships, he talked about heaven, he talked about hell, he talked about money, fa- you know, family. Jesus talked about one thing after the cross. Jesus had one sermon on repeat after the cross. You have to go tell the whole world the unbelievable news of the gospel. That's all he said. You have to go tell the whole world the unbelievable news of the gospel. And because Jesus gives this commission, this command to every single believer, this gets rid of the idea that having a heart for the world or being involved in reaching the nations is for like a few select believers, you know, like the the super Christians, the missions nerds. Okay, they do, you know, they've been called to that, whatever that means, you know, liver quiver or I don't know what that looked like, but that's their thing. Okay, and that's just not me, man. You know, it's just not me. That's good, but that's just not me. Wrong. Okay. Every believer has a part to play, okay? Because this is, this is God's purpose and it's our purpose. This is how Paul says it in Galatians 3. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Very simply put, if you're in this room tonight and you know Jesus, welcome to the family. And the family business is missions. That's just what we do, okay? In the exact same way that salvation um, came to Abraham and him and his descendants were the means to make it known to the nations, Salvation has come to us in Christ, and we are the means to make it known to the nations. Grace has come to us, and it's not meant to stop on us. And that's for every single believer to have a part to play. Okay? And so as we look forward to where is this all going, what, you know, how is God using people, and what's the end goal of it all? Heaven is this, this just exclamation point of on God's purpose of what he's been doing all the way along revelation 5 9 we're gonna uh we're gonna be singing some songs in heaven like it's gonna be awesome I'm just hoping to have rhythm in my heavenly body you know what I'm saying um but like it's gonna be off the chain okay and and in revelation 5 9 we get one of the songs is a new song by the way when it says sing a new song to the lord sometimes I wonder if this is that new song you go you do with that what you will hope that's not heretical 
they sang a new song. You are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we're going to be singing some songs in heaven. And one of the main songs that we're going to be singing is about the cross, about the fact that Jesus died for the sins of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Um, And if you made me give you one verse to prove to you that God's heart beats for the nations, I wouldn't take you to the Great Commission. And don't tell perspectives. I wouldn't take you to Genesis 12. I would take you straight to that verse. Um, Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is true of God here. God desires the worship of the nations so much that he paid for them. He bought them. He purchased them with the life of his greatest treasure, his son. God is invested in getting his name to the nations. And then two chapters later, we find out the choir that's going to be singing that song. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. So heaven is going to be one big multicultural worship service to Jesus. All the nations are going to be singing about the fact that Jesus died for all the nations. That's heaven. Uh, contrary to popular belief, heaven is not even a bunch of Americans singing Chris Tomlin songs. Okay, like, um, it's going to be a little bit better than that, all right? Um, all nations will be. So, so the promise that God made to Abraham, the purpose revealed in that, that through him all nations will be blessed, this is where God keeps it. You can hang your hat on that verse. It will happen. And um, this, this is a purpose worth giving your life to. Um, all of Scripture and all of history is going toward one thing, the worship of Jesus by the nations. Uh, and any other purpose is just too small. So missions, missions doesn't need us uh, as much as we need missions because we need purpose for our lives and there is no greater purpose than this because it's, it's tied to God's purpose. Okay, we just went through the whole Bible. Deal? It's good. Um, and so that's where it has to start. It has to start with this is God's purpose and he is doing that. And, and when we start to look at what I want to do now is in this part one with looking at what does the world look like right now? Like what is left to finish of the Great Commission? Okay, How, where are the places and uh, parts of the world that are yet to get the gospel? Um uh, I, I'm a big, like, Olympics, you know, when the Olympics come on, I love watching the Olympics. They always have those cool stories about uh, the athletes. Um, one of my favorites, uh, I hear it on TV, but have heard it, um, there's an Olympic Tanzanian marathon runner in 1968 named John Stephen Aquari. And so this guy, you know, he's his, his country's representative to run the marathon, so he gets the Olympics, Olympic Games. He's running the marathon. Have you ever seen those long-distance races and these guys, like, super skinny, you know, and, and they, they're, when they go around curves, they're, they're, like, right up in each other's grill, you know, and they're, like, bumping each other. And, and sometimes they get bumped a little bit. Well, they're going around this curve. This is, like, halfway through the marathon. And he actually gets bumped, gets knocked down, and dislocates his knee in the middle of the race. And so he's, like, down for the count, and he does something crazy. He gets up, pops his knee back into place, and starts running again. Like, who is this guy? Um, and he, uh, he doesn't win. <laughs> if some of you are like, oh my, he's going to win? No, he loses big time. But um, he, <laughs> um, he, he gets done like way after everyone, you know. And, and as soon as he, he crosses... Um, the finish line, you know, afterwards, some people had obviously seen what had happened, so they want to, you know, get the story or whatever. And so the reporters are asking him, like, what happened? You know, how'd you, how could you, like, get back up and keep going? And he said only this. I love it. Um, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. 
And when we think about the Great Commission, like it's not enough to just think of it in terms of, man, let's start, the, let's, let's do, let's make some disciples. You know, it's like, no, what, what would it be like if the church had this mentality of how do we finish the Great Commission? Um, God's purpose. Uh, Paul said this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so we want to look at um, what it kind of um, means to finish uh, the Great Commission, the places in the um, world where the gospel is yet to go. So we're going to do a little bit of geography, like stick with me here. It's going to be tough. You know, uh, Americans were not always great at geography. um, uh, They did um, National Geographic did a survey a few years ago, and uh, one in seven North Americans couldn't point to North America on a map. Um, do you know how bad that is? Okay. <laughs> it's like not okay. Um, that means like if you were to get abducted by aliens and you had to take a space taxi back home, like you don't know where to go. Like, uh, <laughs> like you don't know. It's like, that's not so. So it's not. I, I know this sounds like you're like, I don't know. I, the world, I don't know. Like, it's not an option for us as believers to be totally uneducated what the world looks like. Uh, you want to talk about a reason to take perspectives? Where else are you going to learn some of this stuff? And so we're going to, I'm going to do it like light version, okay? Uh, and, and it's not going to be too bad. I want you to remember really two numbers that if you remember these numbers, you're going to have a great idea of what is left to finish of the Great Commission and how God sees it. Um, 6,500 peoples, not countries. 6,500 peoples, not countries. The word peoples sounds wrong. You guys are like, all right, Hudson, you're from Arkansas. You got shoes on, all your teeth. That's great. Um, but bro, could you learn some English? Because people is not a word, okay? Um, but this idea of peoples is this idea of ethno-linguistic people groups, like different cultures and what makes us us and what makes them them, okay? in different religions and cultures and, and languages, okay? And, and the reason this idea of, of different ethnicities is important, people, 6,500 peoples, uh, is because of the Bible, okay? Because when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go make disciples of all nations. The Greek word that he used for nations is the Greek word ethnos. It does not mean countries, okay? If the, if the Great Commission was to make disciples of all countries, done, all right, we're, we're, but it's a people's ethno-linguistic. So th- this word is where we get the word ethnicity. And so a definition of a people group. So a people group, the definition of a people group is the largest group of people within which the gospel can flow freely without encountering barriers of understanding. OK, um, you know, of, of language or uh, culture, so um, the, the gospel can flow freely. And so just visually, let me kind of get at this uh, for you. Okay, so here's the country of Nigeria as defined by political boundaries. And so let's take, say that we take Chris and we parachute Chris in, okay? You know, and so he lands in Nigeria and the Holy Spirit is upon him, okay? And so he's like preaching the gospel. Every man, woman, and dog is coming to Christ, you know? And the Holy Spirit's point is, you know, Pentecost part two, and he's dunking them all and it's amazing. Well, I used to think that the um, that uh, the world was like a pancake, and so that you know if the if the gospel is represented by syrup, when you pour it on, it's just going to keep spreading. And so as as Chris is there, it's just going to keep spreading over the whole country of Nigeria, and then eventually over the whole continent of Africa, and then and then over the whole world. It's just going to keep going. But actually, what happened uh, was when Chris landed, uh, he landed in one the 455 different ethno-linguistic people groups that make up Nigeria. And this people group's Muslim, and this people group's animistic, and, and one speaks Islam, and another speaks a tribal language, and they're ancient enemies, and the gospel will not flow through that barrier of understanding. It's going to take someone leaving one culture, learning a language, going to another culture to take the gospel. Are you tracking with me? Um, and so the world is not so much a pancake as it is a it's a waffle. That's exactly right. So if you're like, okay, what do we learn about missions? You know, the world is a waffle. He's like, just go tell everybody, okay? Um, and so this is this is important because God has promised to bless all these people groups. Unbelievable. God loves diversity. 
He loves being worshipped in these different languages. And so this is the task, not to get the gospel to what country. So it's not to where are you going, but to whom are you going? These 6,500 ethno-linguistic people groups. So the definition of an unreached people group is where there are the, the number of believers, um, the population, uh, number of believers is less than 2%. Less than 2% of the population are Christian it's considered unreached because that means there are not enough believers to effectively evangelize the whole people group. Does that make sense? And so that actually, missiologists didn't come up with that uh, number, 2%. That's actually a sociologist. Uh, like we ripped that off of them because sociologists say, you know, study people and they say in order for movements to happen within people, 2% of the population is critical mass. Like if, if, it, if it doesn't have one 2%, it doesn't have a shot. Uh, it's spreading throughout, and so less than 2%. And if you look at where are the unreached people groups in the world located, that's those 6,500 peoples. Um, they're located mainly in a part of the world called the 1040 window. And the 1040 window, some of you have probably heard of this, the 1040 window is just a name for the part of the world that goes from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, West Africa to East Asia, and 97% of the unreached people in the world live in that box. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean they're more lost than, than people here um, or, or in other parts of the world. It just means they have less access. Okay? So are there unsafe people in Kansas City? Yes. But are any of them unreached? No, because they could throw a rock and hit a church. Okay. Uh, not the same word. They should do that, but they could. Okay. And so this 1040 window is just really kind of the, the, the focal point. And, and, and we just made up that term. I mean, that's, that's just a, a helpful way um, to remember it. But does that make sense? So, that, so if you remember 6,500 peoples, not countries, that's the number of unreached peoples that there are left. That there might not be represent. We want representatives from those people groups around the throne in heaven. Okay, and so that's where we uh, want to focus. And so, it's sixty five hundred people is located mainly in the ten forty window. That's the first number, sixty five hundred people. The second number that I want to just leave you with um, uh, 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 <laughs> um, is how many resources the church has available to her to be able to finish the Great Commission. And it's like infinite, okay, so <laughs> infinity symbol, mainly because we have like this thing called the Trinity on our side, um, but also because God has, has equipped and positioned the church in unbelievable ways to finish the Great Commission. I want to just let you know that God is on the move around the world. Christianity, more than any other religion, is a worldwide religion. Christianity is more global than any other religion. Um, in uh, the beginning of this century, there were about 10 million Christians on the continent of Africa, and now there are over 300 million Christians in Africa. It's the largest quantitative religious shift in all of history. In the 1980s, they said uh, China was closed to the gospel, and then the worldwide church started praying. And then martyrs started laying down their lives, and now the gospel is blowing up in China. Literally estimates of thousands of people a day coming to Christ in China. And so the average Christian in 1917 was a, I just searched church curmudgeon and this guy popped up. Um, the average Christian in 1917 was a 45-year-old British white male. The average Christian today, 28-year-old black African female. That is awesome. Do you know why? Because missions works. When the God of the universe sets out to make his name known, it works. So don't think that it's just white Westerners going to the rest of the world. Okay? God is on the move all the way around the world. And if we don't get on board, he'll get the job done with a bunch of South Korean missionaries who are on fire. Okay? And so it's not just us. So God uh, has positioned the church. He's given us manpower and money. But the question is, how are we using the resources? How are we allocating the resources? And I would argue, not that great. Um, Christians do not live near the unreached. That's kind of like a, yeah, duh, okay? Um, but, but it needs to be said, okay? These 
blue dots or purple dots. <laughs> I'm kind of colorblind. Is that blue or purple? Blue slash purple <laughs> are Christians and red are the unreached. That's why they're unreached because Christians don't need, live near them. But here's why that's important. This means that it's not enough for us to just say, okay, yeah, God's doing things. So we just have to be missional right where we're at. Let's just be missional right where we're at. If, if the church just stays missional right where she's at, these people will never get the gospel. It will take someone changing their address, learning a language, learning a culture to go and get the gospel to these people. You tracking with me? Like, we don't live near the unreached, so we have to go to them. Someone has to go. Missionaries don't go to the unreached, unfortunately. Uh, only about 4% of missionaries, 2 to 4% of missionaries work among the unreached. These are of long-term missionaries that are sent out, 2 to 4%. So this is where missionaries go. Okay, that's definitely purple. So that was blue. This is purple. Uh, purple is where missionaries go. Is it bad to go places other than the unreached? No, God loves all nations. Okay. But we need to be strategic and say, well, man, what's left. Okay. So you seen some correlations here. What about money? The church gives one out of every $100,000 that it makes, uh, to the unreached. Um, uh, the amount of money <clears throat> that is given to the unreached every year is about the same amount of money that's been on dieting programs, okay, in the U.S. Um, we actually did some Googling, and it's the same amount of money that is spent on Halloween costumes every year for pets. That's how much we give to the unreached. You don't know whether to laugh or cry, am I right? I'm not trying to guilt anybody. We just, okay, like, this is, whoa. More money is embezzled by the church every year than is given to the unreached. Are we being strategic in how we're using our resources? I would argue we are not. And so what this means is, this is why the traveling team has a job, okay? Because reaching the world is not a resource problem. It's a mobilization problem. The church has to wake up. And so we, the traveling team, we're like, man, what if we, let's just spitball here. Let's just crunch some numbers. Let's, let's dream a little bit. What if, what would it take to finish the Great Commission? What if we sent teams of 10 to each of the 7,000 unreached people groups? So we rounded up 6,500 to 7,000. We rounded up and said, what if we sent teams of 10 to each of the unreached people groups. How many missionaries would it take? 70,000 missionaries. Do we have enough people? Well, there are 800 million evangelicals in the world, 115,000 believers per one unreached people group, 800 churches per one unreached people group. So that's like LifeBridge and 799 others saying we're going to reach one. Okay? Uh, it would take one out of every 11,000 people to go as a missionary. Every, every 11,500 believers. That's not even anybody in here. We'll send other people. <laughs> the, the disobedient ones, you know. The, uh, we'll send them. Do we have enough people? Yeah. What about money? Uh, how much do it take? Finances to send them $3 billion annually. And let me just tell you, they would be living the posh missionary life if we $3 billion, okay? Um, how, do we have enough? Well, that would be $3.75 per believer per year. If we wanted to knock it out in the U.S. alone, it would be 1875. The church can finish the Great Commission any Saturday that she wants. Not because there's anything that we're doing that's great, but because God has positioned us, because God is on a mission, because he has a purpose, because he's been working through all of history, and it's going somewhere. Okay? So be encouraged. Okay, maybe we got some work to do, but but there's hope. Um, I mean, God wants to use us. Deal. Let's take a break. Chris, you want to say anything? Ten minute break. Come back right at eight.